0: Great to see you. great to be back at White Sulphur Springs. It's, uh, to me, one of the most, uh, one of of the weekends I look forward to all year because I love coming here. I love this this, uh, this place and the people who gather here and the message we have to share together and uh, always a few days of uh, refreshment and encouragement, so I'm glad to be here today. And... uh, I wasn't here last year. I had another conference later in the month, and I and uh, and Leon preached in my place. I wish we could have Leon. We need another slot in the program, so Leon could could preach. I hate to take his place this year, but um, uh, I think someone mentioned just a few minutes ago that uh, shortly after, about two days after last year's conference, there was uh, the tragic events that happened, some of them not far, in one airplane crash not far from here, but uh, the uh, Twin Towers in New York and the Pentagon in uh, in Washington. I had a I got a copy of the New York Times Magazine for tomorrow, and uh, I'm going to keep it a secret how it is that I get the New York Times Sunday section three or four days in advance, but uh, they have a, there's a picture on, on the back, uh, an advertisement in, uh, in the magazine, full-page ad. And uh, for those of you who are familiar with, with Manhattan, uh, I can see this scene from my upstairs uh, windows, the bedroom and bathroom upstairs, we can, we can see this way, way out in the distance. And a lot of us uh, in our area, a lot of the folks that have come to the conference even, uh, are very familiar with this picture. But if you showed us this picture a year ago today, we would have looked at it and said, what's that? The most important part of this picture is missing. And then as, you look at, as I looked at this picture, I thought, this is so strange. This just doesn't look right. And then there's the shadow in the Hudson River here. And you see the towers. It says, we'll never forget. Well, on Wednesday evening, September 11th, this year, uh, Grace Fellow, uh, Grace for today, is going to be meeting together, and uh, we've invited folks, our listening folks on the radio program to join us, and uh, and we're going to be meeting together at the YWCA in downtown Brooklyn to have a, a meeting, a service of remembrance, and to encourage, and to pray, and to comfort, and to open up the Word together. Um... This past year, since, I, I, I'm not sure what, it, what really changed, but this past year has been the most fruitful year of ministry that we have ever had in, uh, in New York City. Uh, many of the people that are here at the conference, we didn't know a year ago. Uh, there's others, uh, many others who couldn't come, and uh, uh, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what changed, except that I know that... Uh, in the city of New York and in our area and I think in other parts of the country as well, there God used this event. I, you know, there was a PBS special on TV a week or so ago where people, it was called Faith in, and Faith in uh, Doubt at Ground Zero and it seemed to be mostly about doubt at Ground Zero and a bunch of people saying, I don't know how God could have done this and well, God didn't do that. Uh, We live in this present evil age and there is evil and evil people and evil things that happen and and we should not be Surprised though. We always are when when evil touches our lives, but we really should not be surprised because uh, that is a mark of the times that we live in but um, these people complained about uh, about God and how they had lost their their faith in God through this experience through this event and yet we have found And I believe that God is using this event. God didn't do this event, but God is using this event in people's lives uh, to realize that we don't have security. We don't have security in our country. Our jet planes got there five minutes after the planes crashed into the towers. They roared up and down the Hudson River and all around, but it was too late. We don't have security in our country. We don't have security in our own lives. We can go to work on Tuesday morning, a beautiful sunny day, and... uh, Have an airplane fly into our office and find ourselves trapped and and uh, unable to escape from a a burning building so um, our country and i know that our city has been awakened and god is using that event in many people's lives and we are thankful to be able to be there uh, at this time to be able to share the gospel the grace of god and the word of god rightly divided which is the answer to all of the insecurity. And uh, uh, as I said, we've had, I think, the most fruitful year that we have ever had. I have on the table around this little uh, chest here uh, some some literature about our ministry, and I just would like to encourage you to uh, stop and pick that up before you go home. One of the things, some of you may have read this, but uh, others maybe haven't seen it. A couple, well, back... Around the first of the year, I wrote an article and we printed it in a little newsletter called Grace at Ground Zero. Our ministry in in Brooklyn, although we have people coming from all of the boroughs, but the, the ministry meets in downtown Brooklyn, which is just across the Brooklyn Bridge from, from uh, downtown uh, lower Manhattan. So I drive past the Ground Zero every Saturday, just about this time, almost exactly this time on our way to Brooklyn and we have our class at 10 o'clock there. And and, uh, uh, I went to visit. I flew over Ground Zero about uh, a week and a half after the disaster happened and uh, looked down at the heap of of where those buildings stood. But uh, I just couldn't bring myself and I think a lot of people felt that way, to just go down there and see it in person until uh, around Christmas time, we had a visitor, uh, missionary in our home, and we went over to New York to, to see and to visit. So I wrote an article of things that we saw and things that we learned and some impressions of uh, of the scene there and the spiritual implications. There's also a, uh, a sheet if you'd like to be on our mailing list. Um, sign up on that and just give it to me or to Leon or to any of our people and... and uh, gonna try to send out some uh, maybe a newsletter about what the Lord is doing in New York because um, uh, I've had a change in my ministry about uh, let's see it was the end of March I announced to our church in New Jersey that I would be leaving that I'd like them to find a new pastor and uh, the end of July uh, was my last service there at the church in New Jersey and now I'm spending full time as a missionary working with uh with leon and uh and the rest of the folks in new york to uh, you know a couple of years ago we started a, a bible correspondence course in the book of romans and we have these uh, lessons that we mail out one lesson on each chapter and as we were starting the program at a wednesday night prayer meeting i i i uh, i was thinking about it i said we ought to pray for something so i said lord give us a thousand students we have zero right now but give us 1,000 students studying the book of Romans. It's, it's a wonderful thing to send a tract out. I mean, it, it, you know, they're reading a tract, and there's questions, and they read the book of Romans, and there's questions about it, and 16 lessons, and it goes back and forth in the mail. I said, Lord, we pray for 1,000 people. Well, we just passed recently 1,000 people studying the book of Romans. And, uh, and uh, as, we, as, we, as I left the church in New Jersey, I said to the people... Uh, you know, that I'm going to New York, and, and I'm praying that the Lord would start a church of 10,000 people, and that wouldn't be enough. If it's only 10,000 people, it'd be a shame, wouldn't it? I mean, we, we're we in, in Brooklyn right now on Saturday mornings, and, and Brooklyn is the fourth largest city in the United States, if it was on its own. Over three million people live in Brooklyn alone, and then there's Queens right next door. People come from there, and there's Staten Island across the harbor, and Manhattan and the Bronx, and folks come on the subways, and if we only had one church of 10,000 people, it would not—it would be pitiful. So we're praying that the Lord will really, really, because we have seen the Lord open doors this year. I hope you get a chance to meet some of the folks that come from New York, if you're from other places, and just hear of their testimonies. And, and uh, we have one person uh, who was sitting in front of the World Trade Center, I think having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, uh, that uh, Tuesday morning when the plane flew and she was right there and looked up and saw the first plane go in and, and uh, involved in the chaos and the evacuation. A lot of people uh, in, our, in our fellowship uh, had experiences there. My wife works at the New York Times. Oh. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, but... Uh, she was uh, in the city that day and uh, she got to work earlier, so someone came in and said, you wouldn't believe what I just saw, unbelievable, I just saw a plane fly into the World trade center. And, and uh, so she was uh, within, within about an hour that uh, all the non-essential people were sent home. And, uh, but 11, 11 people at the New York Times in that one company lost a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a child. I mean, 2,830-some people uh, in New York City died. You can't lose that many people without people knowing, and people knowing, people who know those people. So it makes a change, and uh, of course we would appreciate your prayers that the Lord will, will keep that door open. Some people have finally gotten the idea that the party's over, and we need to think about something beyond just making money and how the Wall Street, how the stock market is doing. It's interesting that the World Trade Center, right next to Wall Street, and the people who are most obsessed with money saw this thing come down. They ran through the streets in, in the clouds of dust. And, uh, you know, you, you, maybe the Lord has to do something like that to get through to people who are so obsessed with uh, this world. Well, I say all that to bring us to uh, a book which, in, in there is a certain way in which this is my favorite book and favorite passage of the Bible. And something that I... Uh, I come to, and I want to share with you today, you know, C.S. Lewis said, I'd like to turn to First Thessalonians. C.S. Lewis said that one of the dangers with being a public speaker, uh, perhaps especially a a public speaker in Christian circles, is that as you go around speaking, people might get the idea that you've got it all figured out and you've got it all worked out, and and, uh, you might even start to think that of yourself, and that's very bad. Not, not helpful to your spiritual growth. Well, uh, I am coming to 1 Thessalonians today with you, and I'm going to try to almost look at the whole book. Uh, be, and, and We're not going to like focus on... There's, there's several ways of approaching this kind of a book in the Bible. One of them is to look at the doctrine in it, but I'm going to look at the ministry of the man who is preaching that doctrine. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful it is, it is something that I come to and I read it and I go Lord I'm so far from this but I pray that you would make me like this make me this kind of a pastor make me this kind of a Christian and uh, I want to share this with you not as a person who has this all figured out and all worked out in my life but as something that I found a long time ago and something that I've, I've uh, tried to try to as I've aspired to I have prayed that God would make me the kind of person that we read about here in this book So I bring this and I want to share this with you that you too We, we will kind of in a, in a way scratch the surface of it But maybe you'll go home and say you know There's something in this book that I need to really look at and I need to get into my life and uh, If we get that it'll be good in chapter 2 Paul gives us a picture of his ministry three pictures of his ministry there at Thessalonica and uh, three times he uses the little word as, 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 gives us three pictures of his ministry. In chapter 2 verse 4 he says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Paul saw himself and wanted to paint the picture for us that he was a man who saw himself as one who was approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel that's the first picture of his ministry second picture is in verse seven but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children i think the king james says just as a nurse but i think the idea here is uh, we, we see the picture of a mother sitting in her rocking chair with her baby or her children and she is nursing them and she is cherishing the word cherishes to uh, is the idea of the of the mother hen sitting on the eggs and, and warming them and brooding over them so the first picture in verse 4 was Paul saying I I see myself and I want to show myself to you as a man who has been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And then in verse 7, I want to show myself to you, and I think we should almost giggle as we read it, I want to show myself as a nursing mother, cherishing my little children. And then the last as, verse 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children. Three pictures of Paul's ministry. The man who is entrusted with the gospel. The man who saw himself as a mommy, sitting in the rocker with his children around him, nursing his children and cherishing and brooding over them. And then verse 11, Paul saw himself as a father teaching his own children. And I think Paul gives us here, I think that there is a sort of a progression that Paul divides his ministry into phases. There's phase one, there's phase two, there's phase three. Phase one, he was an evangelist. He was a man entrusted with the gospel. He went to get people saved. Phase two, when they got saved, then he saw himself as a mother gathering together the little chicks, gathering together his little children and as a mother nourishing them. He says in verse uh, eight, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very uh, dear to uh, Greek, is you have become very beloved to us. Agape is in that verse. You have become beloved. And so we were, we were well pleased. It was no problem. It didn't bother me at all to not only share with you the gospel, but to share with you our own lives. And I, I think, you know, I, I am married to a mother who raised two little girls and two little babies. And, and I remember how, you know, a mother, uh, I mean, the picture here of, of the mother who, who, eats her food, who eats more food, and then her body digests that food so that her body can produce a food which her children can drink, the milk. And so the mother uh, takes the, in in a spiritual way, we say the mother takes the the spiritual things of God's Word, deep things of God's Word, but then the mother gives them out to her children in in the milk of the Word. She she pre-digests their food and, and helps them to begin to grow. And then finally, the third phase of Paul, the, 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 the man entrusted with the gospel has the goal of seeing people be saved. He wants to share the gospel with them. Then the nursing mother gathers together these new believers and, and wants to get them on their feet to get them established. But then we get to verse 11 and we find the Father. And I know in my home, I, I've, I see this over and over. It's amazing. I don't know. It, it's somehow built into us as human beings that my wife, relates to my daughters in a different way than I do. My wife relates to them in a way that is comforting. She puts her arms around them. She, uh, she encourages them. She, she, she builds them up, but she doesn't, she doesn't so much correct them or, or, or you know, sort of direct them, but she has more, she, she puts the emphasis on just sort of hugging them and encouraging them. But then when he get to a father, I see myself here. And Paul, Paul changes the words in verse 11. He says, you know how we exhorted and we comforted and we charged every one of you as a father does his own children. And you know how a father speaks to his children. He's gentle to them, but at the same time, he's more, you've got to do this. You know, I want you to be a wise. Let me give you the wisdom so that you will know how, verse 12, that you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory the the evangelist who has been entrusted with the message has the goal of seeing people trust in the lord and be saved the mothering ministry has the goal of getting getting that new believer to be able to stand on his or her feet in the lord like paul says in verse uh, chapter 3 verse 8 now we live now we really live if you stand fast and that's the mother speaking there i know that there are there are uh hindrances there are persecutions coming but i i'm going to give you the milk of the word because i want you to stand you know you see the little baby rolling o- oh look she just rolled over in her crib wasn't it oh she rolled over today wow wow, wow. and then she stands up oh wow look at she's standing and then she starts holding on to the furniture and she walks around the living room holding on and then one day she lets go and it's whoa and, and, and Paul here is, is, I think, thinking of these believers. Now we really live. If you stand, yes, the wind is blowing and the, and the waves are coming, but what we want to see is that in all, the, in all the disasters of life, that you will stand fast, stand up. That's the mother speaking as she, she brings up these little babies. And then you get to the father. And the father is speaking in chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and we exhort in the Lord that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk in God and please God. And there's the Father, and the rest of the book is, you know, chapter 4, verse 1, we urge and exhort you. Chapter uh, 4, verse 10, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 12, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who are Labor Chapter 5, verse 14, we exhort you, brethren, warn, I mean, here he's, he's shifted, shifted gears into the, into the role of the father, saying, do this, do this, I urge you, I charge you, I encourage you. So I see three different pictures that Paul has. I find in my life that I'm better at some and worse at others. Paul is a, is a well-rounded... I have to say, Lord, I have some flat spots in my life. I'm better at one of these than, than another one of these. We see an amazing picture of Paul who apparently had, uh, w- had this well-roundedness that he could be both the evangelist and the mommy and the father. Well, I want to learn to do that, and I want to share with you a picture of what this thing called ministry is all about. Chapter 2... Starting at verse 1, from 1 to 6, chapter 2, from 1 to 6, we read about the man entrusted with the gospel. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not for nothing. It wasn't a dead end. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, chapter 16, the book of Acts, Paul was beat up, thrown into the jail. That night an earthquake happened. He, he came out, but he had the marks on him. They asked him to leave town. He left and he headed for Thessalonica. Now he comes into town and he's got the, the marks of where he was whipped and beaten. And he says, even after we suffered and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, you saw the marks when we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For Our exhortation did not come from. Where did, where, where, did this, where did this come from? It did not come from error or uncleanness or, or deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that's where it came from. Even so we speak not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, or a cloak, nor a cloak for covetous, God is witness nor did we seek glory from men either you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of christ paul pictures paul draws this picture here of the man who is entrusted with the with the gospel the man who is an evangelist and and i think there are three things there's one in this section and two other places we'll look at that to me are sort of the the the, the springs that make an evangelist run. You know, you crank these things up, and this is what makes him tick. First of all, here's that verse 4. We speak, we go through all of this, because we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. There was an awareness, there was a realization in Paul's mind that he had been entrusted with the good news now when you read the word entrusted sometimes it's translated committed in the bible the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses commit these things entrust these things to faithful people who be able to teach others well that word entrust or to commit it seems to me there's four four things in there first of all there's something valuable that is committed you don't entrust something that's a piece of garbage you know here's a piece of garbage Uh, you entrust something that is valuable Secondly, when something is entrusted to us, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to somebody else. That's a whole idea. I'm holding something in trust that doesn't belong to me, but it's very valuable. Second, the third thing about it is that I have to do something with the thing that's been entrusted to me. I have to keep it, guard it, share it. I mean, uh, uh, I'm not just, I'm not, uh, entrusted to me is, there's an activity involved in in having that thing in my possession at this time and the last thing about it the fourth thing is that the person who is entrusted knows that someday we have to give an account to the person who entrusted to us of what we did with what we got when i was a pastor starting out in chicago uh, we had sunday evening services and we did not have um uh The the treasurer didn't come on Sunday evening, so the offering was put into a bank bag, and it was entrusted to me to take home and to bring the next Sunday morning, to bring it to church so that it could be included the next week into the offering. Now most of the time the offering amounted to about $11.32 or something like that, but I didn't count it. I didn't do anything with it. A bag was put into my hand, and I was entrusted with that bag. And I came home and I thought, well, where am I going to put this thing? For the next, however long I'm the pastor of this church. I've get, so I found a place, I'm tall enough, I put it on top of our china cabinet. And every, every day, except Sunday, there would be this bag folded up sitting on top of the cabinet. No one could see it but me. I'm tall enough to see over that little edge. And, uh, you know, when I think back of living there and, and working in that church for five years, when I think about... Oh, putting the key in my home, I'm coming home from somewhere, and I put the key in the door, and I open the door, and I walk in. You know where I I think of looking, first of all? I think of looking on top of that cabinet. It became an obsession. It became a habit. Every time I came home, the first thing, we lived in Chicago, in a city, and there was not unknown for burglars to go into people's houses. And the first thing, hey, you can take my, well, we didn't have a TV. You could, You can take my radio. You can take my computer. You can take my sofa. You can take my bed, my kitchen table, but don't touch that bag because that bag doesn't belong to me. See, everything else here you can take. It belongs to me. Good riddance. I can get a new one. Don't care. But that bag up there, that's not mine. That's something valuable. I don't know how much is in there. It might be a lot or it might be nothing, but it's not mine. And I have a job, I have something to do with that. I have to guard that bag and bring it there. And if I don't show up, or if something is missing, then I am accountable. And people can call me for it say, Pastor, someone put $1,000 in and did didn't get there the next Sunday. Where did it go? And I would have to give an account for what happened. Well, I was obsessed over that, but it taught me a lesson about how to be what it means to be entrusted with something. Well, Paul here takes that picture. And he says, folks, I have been, but now that I have, I have entrusted, I have uh, preached it to you, and now you've believed it. It's, so we say, hey, you know, not only was Paul entrusted, but I've been entrusted, and you've been, we've been entrusted with the gospel. I know how to get into heaven. I know how to A person can get into heaven and I know that it's a gift and I know that there's people on my street who don't know how to get to heaven I know that there's people in the world who don't know how to get to heaven I know that there's people who when they get saved say no one ever told me this this is the most important news in all the world the most important news in all my life I mean I I'm sure we're sitting here today and and uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I assume that maybe all of us are saved people. And I think you'd agree with me. that the, You know, if there's one thing about my life, you want to know one thing about me, the most important thing in my life, I'd sit and I'd say, the most important thing you've got to know about me is that God saved me. That, that's the most valuable, most precious thing in my life is that I have been saved by the grace of God. Well... Uh, I know how to get to heaven. I mean that's something that's very valuable to me. It's very valuable to people that I share it with when they come to believe it. And I have people say to me, you know, I've been looking for this all my life. I've been going from church to church and religion to religion. Uh, I had a man recently say to me, he said, you know, I was in the hospital recently and uh, while I was in the hospital I prayed that God would bring me someone who would help me to understand the Bible? And they leaned over and he said, "And you are the answer to my prayer." I mean, when you hear something, you realize we have something valuable. Not only is it valuable to us, and not only is it valuable to others when they come to see it, but the ultimate value is what it, is what it, the value is to God. When God entrusts the gospel to the apostle Paul, and then God entrusted us, He is entrusting something that has the value of the blood of His Son, who died a long time ago, but He died. He died on a, on a piece of wood nailed to a cross on, on Calvary there in Jerusalem on a certain day in history. And he, he died there to make this gospel possible. And now he says, now I've paid for it. I've made a way for everyone and anyone who wants to be saved to be saved. that so they can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's open to all. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not counting their trespasses against them. No, god says now finish the job you just go tell people wow paul says i've been in paul had a sense in his life paul had a realization in his life that uh that he had been entrusted with something the, the most ultimate the ultimate value you can't put billions of dollars. you know there is no amount of money i mean i'd give everything i've got we'd get every, everything we've got Millions of people in this world today who know the Lord would give everything. they This is valuable beyond money, and to God it's valued by his, the death of his son and the cross. And then Paul says, it's been entrusted to me. And someday God's going to ask me, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? You know, once we have it, we can never be the same again. We should never be. We, we can never be if we're really, if we're really thinking. Now, chapter one, verse five, Paul talks about Paul, Paul talks about this uh, gospel coming to them, and I want to go over here. The first thing that I see in Paul as the evangelist is a man who saw himself as entrusted with something of great value, of great value to God, of great value to Paul, of great value to people, of great value to those who believe it. The second thing about Paul is that he realized that he had been empowered, that there was was something in his life beyond him working here. Verse 5, chapter 1, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, it did come in word. I knew uh, a lady in Chicago. Um, She was saved, but she went to sort of a, a liberal kind of church. And one night, the uh, assistant pastor and a couple of guys in the church were coming over to talk to her husband, who was an unbeliever. So they came in, they sat down, they had their coffee, they were talking. And, uh, and at some point, the husband said, well, what really is the gospel? And her heart is going, boom, 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 oh, boy, oh, boy, boy, this is great. And the, the assistant pastor of the church said, well, you know, you just really can't quite explain it. You just really can't quite put it into words. And, uh, and my friend stood up from her table, and she said, I stamped my foot on the ground, and I said, somebody sure explained it to me. The gospel comes to people in words. In a, it's not kind of this fuzzy. For a long time in my Christian life, even after I was saved, I was in, a, in, a, in an environment where there wasn't a lot of good teaching, and if you would ask me, I'd be sort of like them. I just, it's hard to explain. No, it's not hard to explain. The Word of God wants us to get it as clear as, as clear as, uh, as, clear, as um, clear as a bell, right? I kept thinking that doesn't sound right. <laughs> let's let's take a look. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. There are some folks who maybe need to need to see the gospel. What is the gospel? Verse uh, chapter fifteen, verse one. I brought the gospel. It didn't come just in words, but it came in words. I brought a message, chapter 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Let me remind I'm not going to put it down in words again. I'm not, I never get tired, Paul, I never get tired of, of telling people, reminding you, What is the good news that I preach to you, in which also you received and in which you stand? by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you're troubled about this believing in vain, read the rest of the chapter where he talks about if Christ is still dead, you've believed in vain. Paul doesn't uh, believe that, but he is he's probing, prompting the th- uh, Corinthians to think. Now what is this gospel? Chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received from the Lord himself, that what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen and he was seen and he was seen and seen and seen and seen and seen and, seen, and finally he was seen by me too. We have a message that can be, that can be verbalized, that can be put in words and we can share it with people. The most important thing we have to tell Christ died for you, died for your sins. Secondly, he was buried. He really died. It's really, It really happened. Third, he rose again the third day. He's alive today because the price has been paid. If he had one sin left, he'd still be dead. But he's alive because God has accepted what he did. It's taken care of. God stamps it, says paid in full. And finally, verse 5. He was, he's not just alive in some figment of an imagination, but he's alive and he was seen and touched and talked to and 500 people saw him at one time. And last of all, I saw him too. So Paul emphasizes the historicity. This really happened. I mean, we're here today, year 2002, but back in the year, something like the year 31 AD, the Lord Jesus was nailed to a piece of wood. He really died. He really was buried. He really rose again. And to prove it, he was seen and touched. And those who saw him and touched him and talked with him were willing to die for their testimony. They weren't the kind of witnesses who changed their mind about what they said and and rearranged the story when it got too hot. They were the kind of witness who said, I saw it and I'll die for it. Well, that is the message that we have to share with people. It's not about fixing your life. It's not about repenting of all your sins. It's not about you know, fixing all the messes in your life. It's about Romans, look at Romans 4, 5. My favorite verse in the Bible. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Here is how you lay hold of that gospel. To him who does not work. Stop trying to do anything. It's not going to church. It's not fixing your life. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying your best. To him who does not work. If this verse is not circled in your Bible, it's time to do that. Romans 4, 5. To him who does not work, but believes on him. Instead of working, we believe. We believe on the God who justifies the godly. All right, I want to make sure you're awake. Yes, it's God saves ungodly. You don't have to fix and clean and straighten things. You come as you are as an ungodly person. You come with all the junk in your life because God going to fix the junk after you get saved. But come to him now, to him who doesn't work, who doesn't try to save himself, but instead trust in the God who justifies the ungodly. God says, I count that person's faith for righteousness. They've done everything that I demanded and required of them for all of eternity. I am satisfied. I'm going to bless them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm going to set my love on them. I'm going to seal them with the Holy Spirit and set my love on them for all of eternity. Because I see their faith and I say, that's right. That's what I wanted. That's all I wanted and desired and demanded of their life, that they would be righteous. And now I count their faith for righteousness. Blessed with every... That's the gospel. It's Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. It really happened. He paid the penalty. He took the blame for everything I ever did and everything i ever am gonna do he died for it all and then romans 4 5 don't work don't do anything don't pray don't walk down an aisle don't get baptized forget all that turn away to him who doesn't work but simply believes trusts in believes that that god will save us because his son paid for our sins god says that person's faith is accounted for righteousness let's go back to thessalonians maybe there's folks here today and maybe you need to do that right now, right today. Stop working, stop being religious, stop, stop counting on church and all that, and just let God save you. He's ready, willing, and able to do it. It's all paid for. His grace has made it available to us. All we need to do is believe what God says. In that passage, Abraham went out and looked at the stars. God said, you see those stars? If you can count the stars you'll know how many descendants you're going to have and it says abraham believed god and god counted it to him god today says look at the cross it's all about the cross believe what i did at that cross that jesus died and paid for your sins you believe that like abraham believe what god said you believe what god says god counts your faith for righteousness you can get up in the morning and say i used to go to bed at night and pray lord keep me alive till tomorrow because i am not ready to die tonight and then somebody loved me enough to knock on my door and invite me to a Bible study. And eight months later, I could go to bed at night and say, Lord, I thank you. I'm ready to go. You can come tonight. You can take me home. Doesn't matter. I'm ready. I know I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good, but because the Lord Jesus paid for me. I trusted in him. Well, the message of the gospel is a thing you can put in words. But notice chapter 1, verse 5, Thessalonians. Our gospel didn't come to you in word only. That's It's interesting. It did come in words, but not only words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And here I think Paul is speaking about himself, that Paul sensed in his own life. And he realized that others looked at him and they sensed something about him. That when Paul came with this message, that there was a, there was a power in Paul. That there was a, a, uh, the Holy Spirit in that beautiful, much assurance. Uh, the word assurance here uh, starts with the word play role, which is full. So it's sort of like full assurance, but then it's much. So he says, we came to you with much full assurance. So that's really, that's a lot of assurance. Paul says, "I came when I came, I didn't just come with the word, but we came and there was power and there was the Holy Spirit and there was much full assurance. As you know, you know what we were like when we were among you. For your sake. I think what Paul's writing about here is the same thing. Keep your finger here and look to Romans chapter 1. When Paul came with that gospel, he came in with this kind of attitude. Romans 1:16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When I came, I didn't just bring a message and say, Well, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but you know, you could. Paul came with a message and he had this this is his chapter 116 i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power i know that a lot of us have a problem because a lot of us are 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 unfortunately we're in in fellowship with sometimes with christians who who don't seem to be excited this room ought to be full of people where are all these people in pennsylvania in New York, in New Jersey, and West Virginia and Maryland. Why why isn't this room full of people? I invited so many people to come to this conference and well, I don't know. I think I gotta wash my car, take my Lexus over and get the oil changed, and you know, they love the things. They're Christians, they believe the gospel, but somehow there's something missing. They don't have what Paul's writing to that the, I came, I brought this message, I brought the word. But but you know what kind of men we were. There was power, the Holy Spirit, the much full assurance. We came believing that this message works because we've seen it work in our lives. We came with this message, we believe it works because we've seen it work in people's lives. We've seen people's lives be changed. We've seen them go from making fun of God to being believers and preaching the gospel. We've seen it happen. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Verse 15, So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. This is the guy who walked into the, into the folks there at Thessalonica. This is the man who walked in there with this message in words. But when he gave those words, it wasn't just, well, I don't know. I know a lot of people aren't interested, and you're probably not interested either. I'm not really sure if this message works, because, you know stuff is more important to a lot of people and you know Paul went in there with this message and and they looked at him and Paul says you know what we were like there was power there was the holy spirit there was a full assurance we believed in this message we came with a conviction about the truth of this message you know that Paul I think Paul went through his life with a sense of Amazement. Colossians chapter 1. Here's some, here's some favorite verses to me. Colossians 1.28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's, wow, what a goal. Every man. There's 3 million people in Brooklyn, and that's just one borough out of uh, 8 million in the city. Paul says, my goal is to warn every man evangelize them, and then teach every man and give them all wisdom. I want them to know the mystery and rejoice in all what God's doing today. I want to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor. Verse 29, striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. Wow. Paul had a sense, you know, God is the surgeon. You and I are the scalpels. You know, we're, we're the knife. Paul here is talking about, man, I got goals. I want to see everyone hear this. I want to present every man perfect. And you say, Paul, Paul, you are God of your mind. And Paul says, you know what? Humanly speaking, forget about it. But you know what? I just sense God, God carrying me along here. You go back to Thessalonians, and uh, it's, it's, it's really rather amazing. Chapter 1, verse 5, our gospel did not come to you. Wait a minute, Paul. You came. But see, Paul sees the gospel coming. That the gospel is alive. The gospel is active. The gospel is moving across the world. God is sending this message out. You know what God's looking for? God's looking for a pipe to to shoot the gospel through. God's looking for somebody who's got his sail pulled up so God can blow the wind in and make his ship get going. God's looking, I want to be a sharp knife. You know, Paul's saying here, I just want to be a sharp knife. I want to be a tool. The gospel goes. The gospel came to you. But it came through me, but it's a gospel. It was the power of God working. And when I got there, you saw we believed it. We were convinced. We were assured of it. You know what we were like when we were there. You know, uh, back uh, in June, uh, a group of us went out to uh, Cedar Lake Conference. And uh, some of the folks from New York and New Jersey got together with some folks from Oklahoma and we invited a missionary to come and uh, share with us 50 years of missionary experience, how to turn New York City upside down for the gospel of grace. I just got a letter the other day from a person that was in that group and she wrote to me and she said, you know, that night, those three hours from 9.30 to 12.30 in that in that living room that evening. That was the highlight of the whole conference. See that was a life-changing, that was a life-changing out there. And you know this man talked about, he said how he had gotten to the point in his ministry 50 years ago where there was no money and and it was, it was, and he went out on the tarmac in an airport and he laid down on his face and he prayed to God, God this is your ministry. If you don't supply, we're not going anywhere. This is the end of. We've hit the end of the road. He laid himself down on on the ground on his face and he prayed to God. Paul, Paul is this kind of person here. I didn't just come with the word, but when I came, you saw something in my life. I was being blown along by a wind that filled my sail. I was I was a, a knife that was sharp, but there was something more than just the knife. It was God. God is looking for knives. God is looking for people with their sails pulled up so that he can empower them. Paul says, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that same passage we looked at, another one of these these verses where I think Paul is amazed. He says, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. There's a lot of folks where God's grace toward them is in vain. They're saved, and then they spend the rest of their life polishing up their Lexus, or, or, or watching their 72-inch television, their HDTV. I mean, they get nothing. I don't know if there's any Lexuses out in the parking lot, and I'm not trying to offend anyone who drove one. I don't care if you have a Lexus or not, but I hope that's not what you have your heart set. I don't think you'd be here if you did, but you know, people get Christians get their hearts set on this stuff. I preached uh, not too long ago at another place, and and when i when i said christians get stuck in their stuff i saw people's eyes blink because they knew as they sat there that their stuff was their god paul says you know covetousness is idolatry and there is no reward for a christian who's living in now limit the verse here chapter 15 by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace toward me was not in vain but i labored more overflowingly than they all but it was not me Again, not me, but it was the grace of God which was with me. Paul had a sense of God's... You know, Paul was the kind of guy who just pulled the sail up on the boat. And then God's Spirit filled that sail and pushed him along. Now he can write to the Thessalonians. He says, our gospel did not come to you in word only. Our gospel's alive. Our gospel's active. It's moving. It's powerful. And we're just the tool that god you are just the channel we're just the the wire that god sends the 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 message on but you saw our lives and there was power in the holy spirit and much full assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake i see paul uh first of all as a man who realized he was entrusted with something extremely valuable valuable to god valuable to us valuable to me It had been entrusted to Paul to give this to people. Secondly, I see Paul as a man who knew that he was empowered by the Lord. Some of us maybe this weekend need to go out in these woods and take a walk out here and fall down and pray somewhere. God. I want to be that kind of person. I want to have that kind of power. I want to know your wind filling my sail. I want to be used by you lord i look all around me and i see people who don't know how to get to heaven who don't know how to be saved and when the airplane hits their building which it is going to happen somehow some way someday when their life comes to an end and they step up to the window and they jump out that window they're not going to know where they're going and i know i know man alive what a what a what a paul says as much as is in me i am ready i am not ashamed of this gospel paul knew a, a, a power now sometimes you know sometimes we live among people who america is so rich and we have so much stuff and sometimes we live among christians who are so hung up on their stuff and the fire goes down you know and uh, paul wrote to pastor timothy and he said stir up the gift that is in you god has not given us a spirit of fear for a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind, stir up that fire. Paul was this man on fire. And when he came, notice when this man came to town, verse 5, and he, he, was, he was this man on fire with this message. Well, you know what happens when you hang around with people? That are on, when you hang around with people who are always, you know, talking about their Lexus or the new one that they are going to get, when you hang around with people like that, they, they tend to like draw your fire away. You know, they kind of put you out. You start thinking, well, maybe they're right. You know, maybe I should be worrying more about my 401k. And maybe I should be, you know, I'm just, I'm just driving a Cadillac over here. And they got a Lexus. I, you know, you, 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 but, but, but you hang around with people that are on fire. A guy like Paul comes to town. Look at the next verse. Verse 6, you guys lit up too. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word which with much affliction enjoy the Holy Spirit. You became examples. Verse 8, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. You see, the fire spread from this man that was on fire. I suppose the Thessalonians would say, Well, you know, now now that I'm saved, you know, what is what is a Christian? And the only example they had was Paul. And they go, Hey, that's what we're supposed to do. And they, got, they caught fire, and the next thing in verse 8, they've heard the gospel, and now the next thing you know, their they word sounded, it's the word thunder. They, thund- they thundered forth the word of the Lord, and everyone was hearing about it. Oh Lord, make me, make me a man on fire. Make me a man who knows the power of your grace working in my life, that I might light other people up. Well, they caught the fire. And uh, who knows? Verse 8, who knows how many ways that all these on fire people began to speak? Paul says, Your faith toward God has, in verse 8, Your faith toward God has gone out so that we have no need to say any. You, you're doing the job, folks. They themselves declare concerning us the manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Paul says, Man you guys when you guys got the message you didn't just sit there with it and say well that's great now i'm going to heaven hmm maybe that lexus would look better in brown leather seats no i'm gonna have to take a look at the parking lot later you know i don't mean that but there were many different ways and as I, as I do this, I, I, you know, I think of the ministry in New York, and that's, that's really the difference of what's happened this year, is meeting people who value the message of grace. And, and I can't give it out fast enough because they keep taking it and giving it away. Uh, I have the privilege of being on the radio. Uh, a lot of folks make that possible. A lot of folks are partners in the ministry and make it possible to go on the radio in New York City to, to an audience of, of, of potentially 20 million people from, from Rhode Island down to almost Atlantic City. 20 million people could tune in Sunday morning. Some thousands of people do tune in on Sunday morning and, and, uh, ten about nine or 10 other cities. And you know, it's, it, it's really wonderful uh, I, this week. I was home for three days, and uh, we had been away, a uh, family reunion last weekend, so I was home for three days, and then we left yesterday to come here, and uh, I was answering the phone. The, the, the 800 number was calling. A man called named Wallace. Wallace is a Native American man who lives in Oklahoma, on a reservation in Oklahoma, and uh, we have a, a program in Oklahoma City, and uh, I picked up the phone and said hello and he didn't know who I was and he said I you know my name is Wallace so-and-so and uh, uh, I'm here in Oklahoma and uh, I'd like to order a couple of booklets that you would send to me there's some things we send to people and uh, who listen to the radio whatever and and I said well okay Wallace you know let me get this got all this information his address and everything and then he said you know I'm a I'm a Native American and he says uh, I'm 70 years old and I, I uh, I was born into a religion of Mother Earth, and we, we worshiped, we were pagans, we worshiped Mother Earth and Sun and Moon and all those things, and he says, then I, I realized that wasn't right and I, I read all about Buddhism, but then I, I realized that wasn't right, and I, then I read the Bhagavad Gita, I read Hinduism, and then I realized that wasn't right, and then, then he says, then I became a Seventh-day Adventist and I was keeping all the rules, and he says, but you know what, now I'm saved. I know that I'm saved by the grace of God, and I know I'm going to heaven, and I know that I'm not under law, I'm under grace, and man, he was just, I, I thought, this guy's been saved for 10 or 20 years now, and he just, boy, well, he's just, so I said, well, Wallace, when, when did you get saved? He said, about three months ago, he's 70 years old, about three months ago, I said, to him, well, Wallace, how'd that happen? He said, well, some guy named Dennis Kazonas, I don't even know who he is, sent me some stuff in the mail. I said wallace i'm him <laughs> we, we went on to have wonderful you know just wonderful fellowship together and we're going to send them everything you know everything we got but wallace says you know i'm giving this stuff out here on the reservation this is this is the best thing i ever heard of another guy named jerry lives on ocean parkway in, in brooklyn he called up and he left a message and he left his address and he said you know you talked on the radio today about being sure of your salvation he says i'm not sure and i want to be sure young guy i want to be sure would you would you call me or send me something in the mail absolutely another guy from staten island calls and he says i don't like what i heard on the radio yesterday and i want you to send me that literature because i don't believe it i just want to see how much i don't believe it i said what are wait 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 what are you know he says, heaven is not a gift. Heaven, it's not easy to go to heaven. You've got to do your damn best if you want to go to heaven. And I said, well, John, I, I'm sure you're not going to heaven. <laughs> because you're not doing your best, and neither am I. You could do better, couldn't you, John? Well, everybody could do better, but my priest tells me I can land halfway. I could get to purgatory. He says, well, John, you know, purgatory is not in the Bible. The Bible talks about heaven and hell, and you go to one or the other the moment that you die. If you're saved, you go to heaven, and if you've never been saved, you're going to spend eternity in hell in the lake of fire separating. There is no place in the middle where you burn to pay off your sins. But the priest told me, but I don't care, you're listening. I said, well, uh, uh, John, we cannot talk unless we agree on where we're going to get our information from. You're following a man. I'm trying to share, you, to share with you what the Word of God says. You're supposed to believe the Bible. You're a Catholic. You know how the priest says on Sunday, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know how Peter said, as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word? I said, you need to, have you ever read the Bible? No. I said, well, you know what? We can't talk unless we agree on what we're going to talk about. If we agree that the Word of God is where we're going to get the truth from, then we can talk, then we can study. And you know, after about 10 minutes of talking, he said, would you send me that literature in the mail? I'd like to read that. You know, I I thank God for the opportunity to, you know, Jerry turns on his radio, and and John turns on his radio, and Wallace turns, and that message goes out, and, and, and lands on hearts, Some, I had one lady went to bed one night and she, she said, I prayed when I went to bed that God would help me to find out what the truth is. And the next morning her alarm went off on her clock radio and Grace for Today came on the air and she called me up And that afternoon in her home, in her apartment on the Prospect Expressway in Brooklyn she trusted in the Lord and got saved. I think, but you know, it's not to say that, that, that you gotta be on the radio uh ivan is here somewhere where is ivan ivan is here she does our romans course i love reading when people send back their lessons and they go i thank god for this course i thank god for what i'm learning we got one lady in idaho who sent in her lesson this week and she said i'm going to finish this course and when i'm done this is so great will you send me 10 copy 12 copies because i have 12 friends that i want to study this with There's a little Bible class down by uh, JFK Airport, South Ozone Park. For two weeks, I was there teaching. We were having a great time. Then I was gone for two Tuesdays. And, uh, and Earl, where's Earl at? Earl tells me yesterday, he says, we don't need you, Pastor. We, we just got out our Bibles, our computers. We printed out those verses on grace and the mystery. Somebody came in and said, just what is this mystery? We printed out all the verses and we did our study. And I said, well, I guess you don't need me. I don't want you to need me, you know that? I, 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 you know, we, we make these little materials, booklets and tapes and things, and, give, and people take them and they give them away, and that's what we want. And they become, they become the evangelists. Uh, we have a group of women in our group there in Brooklyn that are called Lift Up. I wish they would have wore their, their uh, shirts with the monograms on them. Lift Up, ladies in fellowship together, uplifting people. On their own, they get together every once a month. Saturday nights, they have a book-reading club, and they invite not only the people from the group, but people, anybody, no men, unfortunately, but anybody, they invite people to come, and they read the book, and they discuss what's, what's, what's rightly divided and what's wrongly divided. Well, you know, this is, this is what we, last evening, Tony talked about her great-grandchildren in her home. And and living the life so her great-grandchildren might see the truths of God's word and build that in from the time they're little children. Whether you're on the radio or in the home or whatever, Paul talks here about the man whose senses, I've got something that's been entrusted to me that's so valuable. And I've got something, I've I've been empowered. You know, as I run up my sail, I find that God carries me along. I want to be that sharp knife. I want to be that sail billowing for the Lord. I want to be that person that God can use, and, and whether it's in our home or in a ministry, in our church or a private or personal, wherever we are. Well, here is the evangelist. Everything in, in the rest of chapter 2 here uh, kind of flows out. He says, uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 1, Our coming to you, because we're entrusted, we came. We took the initiative. We didn't wait till you, but we, we came to you. And then he says uh, in verse uh, 2, we were spitefully treated, but we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel in much conflict. You know, uh, here's that sail run up. We're not bold in ourself. We sometimes look at Paul and say, oh man, that guy had, you know, he just had such guts. I'm not like that. Paul says, neither am I. I mean, the boldness I have is because I ran up the sail and the Lord filled up, filled up the sail with his power. And I was bold in my God. And the more i spoke i saw people's eye you ever you ever talk to somebody and suddenly find yourself saying things that even that you never understood so well but all of a sudden explaining it it seems like you start to understand it better i've had times that i see this person across the table light up his eyes like he's beginning to understand and I, I, I can remember sometimes i'm beginning to understand things better myself and we both end up rejoicing well paul paul said we're bold in our god now now, I've spent a lot of time here. I look at my clock. Uh, I need to fly. Chapter 2, verse 7. Once these people trusted in the Lord, now Paul shifts gears. This is the most amazing thing to see him shifting gears from the sort of the, the fighter, you know, the, 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 the man going out with this gospel and, and, and facing the conflict. Now he, all of a sudden, he's, he's got, he's got a, thing, a picture like Chet here, you know, sort of rocking in his chair. Give us a rock there, Chet. There you go, there you go, here's here's the Apostle Paul's next picture, that's it, he's got his babies. And now Paul shifts into the gentle mode. And in the gentle mode, he says, we were like a nursing mother, cherishing her own, like a a mother hen, brooding over her brood here, And so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become beloved to us. The mothering ministry takes the word of God, takes the gospel, and keeps on giving the gospel, keeps on explaining to the new believer, keeps on explaining the gospel. You know, something very bad happened. Chapter 2, verse 17, We brethren, having been taken away from you, Paul had just started his mothering ministry, and he was taken away. There's something very sad about motherless children, something very pitiful. Anna Quinlan, a writer for the New York Times, said she lost her mother when she was 19 years old, and now that she's 40-something years old, whenever she meets someone, she feels like telling them, you know what, I lost my mother. It made such a, such a, a deep impact in her life to lose her mother at an earth. There's something pitiful about motherless children. Fatherless is okay, more but a motherless child. How sad. Paul says, I had to leave you as motherless children. But you know what? I sent Timothy. Timothy went back. And you read in chapter 3 of Timothy's mother ministry. As Timothy went back to the Thessalonians, and and he says in chapter 2, verse 2, I sent Timothy, my brother, minister, and fellow laborer in the gospel, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. You believed in the Lord, and a lot of people think when you get saved that that's going to be the end of your problems. Here was the beginning of their problems. And now Paul says, "All oh, I sent Timothy to just keep on reminding you of the gospel, the good news of the grace of God, so that you, your faith, that your faith might grow, that you won't be, well, verse 5, I, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter tempts you, and our labor would be in vain, and you might not follow in the Lord. But now Timothy has come and brought us good news of your faith and of your love. And in verse 8, now we really live if you stand fast in the Lord. There's the mother. And what does the mother do? The mother gives the gospel, the milk of the word. She just keeps giving the gospel. You know, Romans, you know the end of Romans 8. I'm not going to turn there because it's not time. But you know how at the end Paul says, we are like sheep led led to the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. When you get saved, all your problems don't go away. In fact, Paul says there, we're like sheep being led to slaughter. I was talking to one of the brothers back in New Jersey and he said, so pastor, what you're saying is that we're being slaughtered. I go, yeah, we're being slaughtered, but then Paul says "And in all these things, we are hyper conquerors. We are more than conquerors. He's giving the gospel and giving the gospel and giving the gospel. You know, one thing, one thing uh, I see here that I want to underline that could have been underlined earlier in the logic of this message in chapter 2 verse 8 he says that he did all this because these people had become very dear they had become very beloved to him and back up in chapter 1 verse 5 at the end of that verse says you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake In chapter 3 verse Twelve. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, to everyone, just as we do to you. At least three times in this book, Paul writes of his love for them. You know what kind of men we were for your sake. We loved you as a mother dearly cherishes and loves her children. And there he says, I'm praying that you will grow in love as we do toward you. That evangelist, first of all, knows he's entrusted with a precious message. We know the way to heaven. Secondly, we've been on our faces, alone with God. And we said, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to know your power filling my life. But the third thing, and sometimes we fail here. Paul had a love for these people, even before he knew them. When he came to town and he began to preach in chapter 1, verse 5, all of that was for your sake. He loved these people before he knew them. When they got saved, he loved them even more. He pulled them to himself and grew in love toward them. Sometimes our love has grown cold. Sometimes, I know it happens to me. We can get so interested in doctrine and understanding the dispensations and all of that, which we need to do, which is important to do. And yet, without love, Paul says, without love, right? We're nothing. And here Paul writes to, and you know what amazes me? Here's this Jewish man, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He used to talk about those people over there as the goy, the dogs over there. And now he goes to town and he says, man, we love you guys. We, we love you guys. I find... God has the most amazing sense of humor, the most beautiful, the most beautiful way of taking a kid from the south side of Chicago, the most segregated city in the United States, I think I've heard. When I was growing up, we knew exactly where the black line and the white line was, and it moved, you know, Halsted Street, Ashton Street, Western Avenue and you know and and the white people ran away from the black people and 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 we wouldn't go in those neighborhoods i was visiting chicago not long ago and i was on 55th and um somewhere on state street or something in a a black neighborhood and a white man drove up next to my car my wife and i were there and a white man he said roll down the window i rolled down he says are you lost this is not a (laughs) this this is not a neighborhood for you to be driving around in says no we're Chicagoans we know where we're at <laughs> but I find it very interesting that the Lord would take somebody who grew up in a very very racist city in a place where we hated people like Martin Luther King and we hated, uh, we hated people of all different colors and, and uh, you know had names for them and all those things and then God saves you by grace And God says, you know what? I don't care what color people are. I don't care if they're yellow or red, if they live on a reservation, or, you know, I was missing recently, man from Korea, Asian person, Indian person, black people, brown people, white people. It doesn't really matter, does it? But we, you know, we have all these things. We're afraid of people. And we don't like people that are different. And, you know, I'll just end with this little thing because I know it's time to go, but we uh we go across the street from the y on saturday sometimes we have lunch at the brooklyn diner next door to the brooklyn tavern but we go to the diner side and and uh you know uh you can step out of the brooklyn diner on saturday morning you know maybe one in the after uh, saturday afternoon one o'clock and you can look up look up uh atlantic avenue and uh Few, a block or two down is a big uh, Muslim neighborhood, Arab, Arab. All signs in Arabic in all the stores, and then, you know, there's a black neighborhood. And very, very mixed, uh, but it it does it does give you this feeling of a blighted neighborhood. It, it's it's not. Uh, they need some more trees there or something. But it, now you can step out of the restaurant, and you know, what does your mind say? You, you step out and and you look and you go, ooh, this 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 place. This looks. Uh, in fact, I know people, I know people that love the grace message but will not come to the Y because they're afraid to go there. They're afraid to park their car, they're afraid to walk on the street. I don't know what they're afraid of. Nothing ever happened to me but, or anybody I know, but they're afraid. And uh, so you could step by the diner and look up there and say, ooh, this is a blighted, you know, these are different kind of people from me. And uh, one of the sisters in our group, stepped out of the diner one day and she looked up and down and she said there's a lot of work to do on Atlantic Avenue (laughs) (laughs) amen there's a lot of work to do there's a lot of souls out here and God doesn't care where they came from what language they speak what color they are Paul says you know I've been entrusted with something and I've been empowered by God and then God worked a love in me that me, the Jew, the Pharisee, the Pharisees, could go to the Gentiles and I could find that I love them, that I love those people. Well, here's the beginning of a picture of a ministry. We didn't finish all of it, but if this grabs your heart, I heartily recommend taking this book and getting down on your knees and getting down on your face and saying, Lord, make this me. Make me what you're writing about here. I don't want to live my life in vain. I want to know what you can do with even a guy like me, men, women, young people, that God can use you. Kneel down on this, on this little weekend and say, Lord, I want to be this. Teach me. Make me. It's really something, though, that goes beyond our head. It really goes, chapter 1, verse 5, it's, it is, the holy, it is it's having the Holy Spirit the reality of that the reality of him living in us and empowering us to do something we can't we don't think that we can do our father i pray that these thoughts and these this time together around this part of your word father you know how many times i've i've read this and prayed over this and asked you Lord to make me like this to give me this kind of a a heart. And I pray as we're on this weekend here, far, far away from where we live and serve you, I pray, Father, that that you might take this and renew it in me, but in, in, in each of us, that we might read this and say, Lord, I, I want to be like this. I want to have a ministry. I want to know the, the power of the Spirit and this a much full assurance filling my sails as i live my life for the lord jesus christ father i pray that we go home different encouraged strengthened and i pray father that we might go home more fruitful more usable more more faithful i pray these things in the name of the lord jesus christ amen